I don't know if you've ever given any thought to what Jesus' expectations of life were. See, I think of Jesus and I think of the guy who, you know, he was like the only guy in Palestine who had indoor plumbing. I mean, everything would work just right for him. After all, he's Jesus, right? He's the Son of God. Everything should be just smooth sailing for Jesus. That's the way that I would anticipate it to be for him. But the reality is, we know that to not be the case. We know that there were people who hated him, who challenged him at every turn. We know that he had struggles in his own family. We know that ultimately, uh, the conflict that he had with other people uh, on one level led to his uh, premature death. And so it wasn't smooth sailing for him. And since it wasn't smooth sailing for him, I, I was thinking, I wonder how Jesus processed His life when everything wasn't perfectly smooth. When everything wasn't just like He thought it should be or like it was created to be. When it was hard, when disappointing, tragic. How did Jesus process that? Well, we have... We have the narrative, narratives of his life in the Gospels, for sure. They tell us what he did, what he said. There's one of those places in the Gospel that gives us a, a unique glimpse into the way that Jesus related to really the most painful time in his life uh, when he was on the cross. And in Luke 23, Jesus quotes from Psalm 31. I have to think that Psalm 31 was one of his favorites. He had it at the ready when he needed it the most. When Jesus was at his lowest, when the pressure on Jesus to cave in or to give up or to doubt God was the most severe. He ran to Psalm 31. And I want you to do the same. When you have that kind of pressure, I want Psalm 31 to be one of those places that you run. One of those texts that you go back to so that you have at the ready when the pressure is on, Psalm 31 at your fingertips. So let's look at it this morning and let's uh, read it and enjoy what it's like to have God be near when the pressure is on. What it's like to trust God when your life tells you you can't. Psalm 31. To the choir master, Psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. 
Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will not, or I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in You, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in Your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make Your face shine on Your servant. Save me in Your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon You. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is Your goodness, which You have stored up for those who fear You and worked for those who take refuge in You in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of Your presence, You hide them from the plots of men. You store them in Your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for He has wondrously shown His steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from Your sight. But You heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to You for help. Love the Lord, all You His saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all who wait for the Lord. Well, even, I hope, I hope you noticed, even as I, in one quick reading of Psalm 31, that It is a mixed bag. There is confidence in the Lord and there is pressure on every side. There is trust in the Lord and there is sickness. There is love for the Lord and there are enemies. I don't think that should be the case. I think if you love the Lord, He should treat you nicely. I think 
if you're trusting in God, your life should go well. That isn't how Psalm 31 portrays it. That isn't how it was for Jesus. Instead, life is this mixed bag of suffering and confidence. It's disappointment and trust. It's both It's both affliction and a settled conviction about who God is. It's not one or the other. It's it's not on good days it's one and bad days it's another. It's It's not when you're feeling religious it's one and when you're not feeling religious it's another. It is both and it's both all the time. And Psalm 31 affirms it and because Jesus loved Psalm 31, He affirms it as well. I think it's hard for us to affirm that because this is how we view life. Okay? We, 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 we see the top line and that's how it ought to go. Right? From start to finish, the straight line upwards. And yet, the reality is that we're down here. I mean, all this person can see is flag, 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 right? And it looks just like this to him at the start. But he doesn't see the bowlers and he doesn't see the rope bridge and he doesn't see this uh, little zip line that dumps him into the boat and where he climbs up the hill. Then see the rain clouds. But the reality is if you've lived very long, you live very long, you do see the clouds and you do see the boulders and they are all around you. And this strange expectation that life should be smooth and easy leads us to doubt that the God of the Bible is the God of the Bible. And we are tempted to deal, to try and deal with reality some other way because it's trickier than we are inclined to believe. And I just want to suggest to you that Psalm 31 is perfect for this because Psalm 31 tells us in no uncertain terms, that life is tricky, life is complicated, life is hard, and God is good. And God can be trusted and He can be loved. And so we don't have to capitulate and we don't have to doubt. Even when we're tempted to doubt, we don't have to doubt. And see, that's the beauty of it. And so what I've, what I've tried to do here is, I've tried to, I'm gonna, we're going to go through Psalm 31 again. And I'm, I'm going to try and show, on one hand, the, the, the problems and the difficulties that are ever-present in the life of David as he's writing this psalm. And also show then at the same time, there is confidence and trust in the midst of that uh, conflict and uh, doubt and disappointment. And so I, I've struggled with how to present this in uh, a way that helps you see both, but I, I think seeing them both at the same time will be most helpful. There's really two parts to this um, psalm. There's the first, it's more than half, like verse 1 through verse 18 is his prayer in the time of trouble. 
Verses 19 through 24 is his praise in the time of trouble. My expectation is, verse 1 through 18 is his prayer in the time of trouble. And 19 through 24 is his praise after the trouble is gone. Because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to go away. But that's not how it goes. There's prayer in the midst of trouble. And there's praise in the midst of trouble. And so let's, let's look at it and hopefully it will help you to see that. Because, let me just, I'm going to say one other thing before we start walking through the psalm. It seems to me that the Christian life is not about being smooth. It's not about uh, maintaining some outward decorum. It's not, it's not about being a certain way or acting you know, a certain way or doing a certain thing. The Christian life is about the struggle to maintain faith in the midst of trouble. That is what it is. And so, if it doesn't feel good to you, you're on the right path. Because the Christian life is that struggle to maintain that faith even when the circumstances of your life don't appear to affirm the faith. When they affirm the faith, I think you're probably abnormal. The normal life of faith is the life of every day, step by step, struggling to believe what is true about God, what He's revealed about Himself to us that enables us to make it through. So we'll start here. The, what I've done is, what, it, what is highlighted in yellow expresses the confidence of David in the person of God. And so he starts off in prayer, in confident prayer. In You, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In Your righteousness, deliver me. And so his prayer starts us off, tells us, this prayer is about trusting God. It's trusting Him to protect us. Trusting Him to, to not let us be embarrassed or put to shame. Trusting in His character, in His righteousness. And so we are, we are starting off with an expression of trust. More prayer. More trust. Incline your ear to Me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress. You are my rock. You are my fortress. In your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. Okay, so far, everything seems to be on this smooth path upwards, right? I'm trusting God, and that's what I'm really uh, expecting. Is that He's going to be my fortress, the arrow's going to hit the fortress, I'm never going to, I'm never going to see an arrow. There's going to be no soldiers storm the castle with their um, you know, bayonets. So I'm not going to have any trouble. Because He's going to rescue me. He's going to incline His ear. And there is this confident prayer. And then, we notice that underneath this confidence is the simultaneous pressure on all sides. There is a net that his enemies have hidden for him. He has no idea where the problem is going to come from. 
He doesn't know if he's going to say something and people are going to, you know, uh, attack him. He doesn't know if they're, they're tricking, going to trick him financially. He doesn't know if, if his enemies, if somebody is, is secretly in the background trying to uh, stir up a coup against the king. He doesn't know where the, where the trouble is going to come from. It's hidden. Yet, even in hidden trouble, he has confidence. You. I'm confident in you, God, because you take me out of the net they've hidden for me. You are my refuge. And here is the, here's the part that Jesus quotes in Luke 23. Into your hand I commit my spirit. See now, uh, if you only have read, you know, the New Testament or only heard this read at, you know, on Good Friday or, or sometime, into your hand I commit my spirit, it sounds like this is what you say, like, in the last moment. This will be like famous last words, right? Into your hand I commit my spirit. And then... <clears throat> but you see, what Jesus was doing is Jesus was quoting Scripture. Jesus had at the ready, in His hour of need, when the pressure was on, He had Psalm 31. He recognized that He was on that cross. He was in that net. His enemies had hidden for Him. And the most fitting prayer that He had was the prayer of Psalm 31. Into Your hand I commit My Spirit. Now the interesting thing is that was Jesus' final word as He died. The psalmist is committing His Spirit to the Lord so that he won't die. David is writing this because he's committed to hanging on to God in time of trouble so that God will protect him from dying. In fact, that's kind of the way it says, You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Yahweh, literally, God of truth. God who is trustworthy. This is David's, this is David's understanding. I'm going to trust you and you will deliver me. Now I think that, that part of the beauty of this and the fact that this is what Jesus quotes on the cross tells us that, you know, our view of and our expectations of what happens to our problems when we pray needs to be adjusted a little bit, right? Here Jesus is praying, into your hands I commit my spirit, like David did. David was delivered. Jesus wasn't. I want to suggest to you that it was the very fact that Jesus wasn't delivered that enables you to believe in God for eternity. See, because it wasn't that the deliverance from physical death that was going to make the ultimate difference. Deliverance from physical death is not um, just the eradication of some physical enemy that won't kill me. Jesus Himself on the cross conquered the enemy that would kill me. The enemy of death. Jesus on the cross vanquished the final foe. 
So that His words, into your hand I commit my spirit. You can commit yourself to the Lord now. And even if you die, because of the resurrection of Jesus, He will redeem you. He is a faithful and true God. You see, essentially, David was coming up to what he perceived to be the end, prayed to be delivered from the end. Jesus came up to the end, prayed, into your hand I come up my spirit, and He punched through the end. So that you and I have hope beyond death because of Jesus. See, that's the good news of the Gospel. That the good news of being part of the people of God is that you can trust God in every circumstance. And He is a faithful and true God in every circumstance. And you get all the way to the end and say, well, He's not delivering me from this. He is still faithful and true. And He will ultimately raise you on the final day. There will be a redemption. There will be the faithfulness of God expressed in the resurrection. And this is, this is what Jesus... Um, incorporation of this text does for us is it punches through that final enemy and ultimately all these enemies it's talking about here will are defeated in David's life, but the, the worst enemy you will ever face is destroyed by Jesus in this moment when He quotes Psalm 31. Into Your hand I commit My Spirit. You have redeemed Me, O God, O Lord, faithful God. Wait a minute, I, I thought that he had redeemed him. Now he's in the midst of people who pay regard to worthless idols. He is. But even in the midst of them, he trusts in the Lord. It's not just a, a clean, straight line. And this, this is, I think, is great. Okay, I'm just going to say. He's in the midst of trouble. He's got, all, he's got nets spread around him. He's got enemies. He's got idolaters all around. People who value things that he doesn't value. Who worship things he doesn't worship. And what he does is a simple affirmation of trust in God. I trust in the Lord. In some respects, he sounds like Job. Job's sitting with ill health. He's sitting in the ashes. He's sitting uh, with friends who are not helpful. And he says, I will trust in the Lord. Why will he trust? Because you've seen my affliction and the distress of my soul. You haven't made it go away. You've seen it. Isn't it interesting that God sees it and lets it stay in your life? I'm just going to say I hate that. I want, I, want him, I want him to see it and make it go away. But he doesn't. He's seen my affliction and known the distress. See, it isn't just the stress of my body. And we're going to get to that in a moment. This is the distress of his soul. This is, this is what keeps him awake at night. And so he's laying there at night, awake, saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. But notice what he does. I rejoice and I'm glad in your steadfast love because you know and see. Because of your character of, of knowing all things, even my affliction, seeing all things, because of who you are and your attention to me, 
not just I'm going to trust, I'm going to hang on, I'm going to suffer with my, you know, do my best. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. Are you kidding me? He, he gets this. And what he gets specifically is the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, we have a little problem here. And you're going to see this throughout the Psalms. I'm just going to spend a little bit of time on here. You're going to see it week after week after week for the next, uh, what, uh, 120 Sundays that we're in Psalms. Okay, if we stay that long. Um, they're not going to be in a row, by the way, just so you know. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. The problem we have is that we don't have an English word for steadfast love. I mean, if you've got a NASB or uh, uh, well, if you've got an NASB, it translates it uh, your loving kindness. If you've got King James, um, I forget what King James. I had it yesterday. Um, I mean, King James has a uh, another description of it, but the the ESV translates it steadfast love. The, the Hebrew word is a, is a word that doesn't come into English very well. It's chesed. And it, is the, it, it means the covenant love of God. It is the love that God has pledged Himself to. God has pledged this faithful true God. We just saw in the previous verse. This faithful true God has pledged Himself to you. It isn't just that He feels warm fuzzies towards you and it won't change. That's what steadfast love sort of tells me, right? If He feels warm fuzzies toward me, why does He let the affliction stay? Why doesn't He do something about the distress of my soul? No, it's it's this covenant love where He is committed to you. And nothing, not affliction, not distress, not even death can change His commitment to you. To do you good. That's what it means to have God full of steadfast love toward you. He has pledged Himself. I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing. I mean, this is a, the kind of thing that we, we highlight in a wedding ceremony where we talk about covenant. You make a covenant with your spouse so that you pledge yourself you forsake all others. You, you pledge yourself to that person. That pledge is one thing. And however good you know, a person is at keeping that pledge or however much affliction enters that relationship that sometimes dissolves that pledge, you have the eternal God of the universe who is faithful and true and He has pledged Himself to you. This is more than, this is way more than just saying, I relate to God as my creator. I relate to God as someone who has pledged his fidelity to me. He has pledged his fidelity to us. So I rejoice in his covenant love. Even in the midst of circumstances that don't make me rejoice, I can rejoice in the fact that I am deeply loved. By a God who is committed to me. I, I mean, that's just... I have to tell you, that requires your faith. That's the hard part, right? We have to believe that. 
Because our circumstances, our affliction, our distress of our soul, that's not going to tell us that. We're not going to get some external support for this. This is how God reveals Himself to be. And you just have to say, I'm going to believe. I'm going to choose to believe the God who reveals Himself to be committed to me in a in covenant in a loving relationship. I just am going to have to choose to believe that. That's what faith is. Okay, he's got enemies all around. His trust is that God has not delivered him into their hands. And that he's set his feet in a, in a broad place. He's got, he's got land to farm. He's got a secure, stable place from which to fight. He is in a good place. Even the, <laughs> he's in a good place and he's got enemies. It's not just he's in a good place now that all his enemies are gone and, I mean, it just isn't clean. It's just not simple, easy, straight line to where you want your life to be. And now we're starting to see a little more blue here. Okay, I'm in distress. See, this, this tells you the extent of it. You think you've got problems? I think I've got problems? I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons you need to know Psalm 31. This is a great expression of how life goes, I think. I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I mean, would you say that this is a happy guy? Would you say that this is somebody who just you know, what, two verses ago said, I will rejoice and be glad? These are non-sequitur. They don't go together. Unless you're trusting in God who has committed Himself to you in love. And you can appeal to Him in prayer to be gracious to you. You see, it, it isn't as simple as we like to think. This one, this one is, I thought the last one was my favorite. This one might be my favorite expression of, you know, badness. He says, all my, because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach. Everyone talks about how bad I am. Okay, that's what a reproach is. They're talking about me being a bad person. Especially to my neighbors. Okay, you wake up in the morning, you look out the window, it's those folks that are talking about you. And it's possible most of us don't have it quite that bad. Then he says, I'm an object of dread to my acquaintances. I, I go to Safeway to grab, you know, to grab some marshmallows. And the checker that I've seen before, he, he's afraid of me. And he, he, he actually puts that close sign up and hopes I go to some other line. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Now, I don't know how bad your problems are. I think mine are pretty bad all the time. But I... <laughs> this isn't happening to me very often. Okay? And I don't want it to happen. That the people... It isn't just a problem with the enemies that he has, you see? Some of us are easy to say, or, or we're easy to dismiss the Psalms as something that a king has in ancient Israel because he's got enemies that you know they do battles and all these things that I don't have. 
But I do have neighbors and I do have acquaintances and I do have I do walk the street and see other people. Okay, and it's those people who are close who are causing him trouble. That he's giving up on, you see. That's that, that's the kind of life he's in the middle of. Why wouldn't God make that better? I have a good answer for that. I don't know. Okay. But, it gets worse. Okay. I've been forgotten like one who's dead. I've become like a broken vessel. It's like I'm invisible anymore. Even though I'm here, I'm like somebody who's not here anymore. And I'm about as useful, I feel about as useful as a broken piece of pottery. I mean, I, I suspect all of us at some level, at some time in our lives, if a lot of times not now, can, can feel this kind of pain. And I'm just going to say, if you haven't and if you can't, you will. This is just a universal disappointment with life. And what are you going to do about that? See, it's, it's really that kind of feeling that prompted Jesus to summon Psalm 31 on the cross. I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, the scheme together against me, they plot to take my life. No wonder Jesus quoted Psalm 31. Then again, it's got enemies and persecutors again, but notice his reaffirmation. I trust in You, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in Your hand. Rescue me. I mean, I just think this is beautiful because this is the, this is the kind of thing that this is what it means to be a spiritual person. To say, I am going to hang on to who God communicates Himself to be even if I can't see it, even if I don't feel great about it, I'm going to trust Him. Because my times are in His hand. You can, you can jettison God. You can get rid of Him. And then what do you have? Right? How's that going to help you? You can redefine God so that He fits your categories and you don't have this struggle of having life be so com complicated. And you can sort of change His character and change what you want to believe about Him. But how does that help you? See, ultimately, the, the Scriptures present a God who is good and faithful and true and righteous and holy and just and good and you hang on to Him, and your circumstances won't matter what your circumstances are. He will be your refuge and see you through. I trust in you. You're my God. I want to ask a lot of questions. I want to have a lot of doubts, but I'm not going to. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Okay? They're still all around Him. And here now he's back to praying. Okay, we we'd seen him just with all blue, all disappointment. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me. 
Oh, in your steadfast love. Again, there, there the steadfast love is. So that we cannot miss the fact that this, my hope of being saved has to do with God's commitment to me in love. Oh Lord, let me not be put to shame. Same prayer he prayed in verse 1. Probably getting, probably hoping that there's going to come a verse here where there's no blue, right? They're going to come. We all hope that in our lives. We, we hope they're going to, I'm going to wake up in the morning and it won't be blue. Okay? But it just keeps going. There's lying lips. There's people who speak instantly against the righteous in pride and contempt. I wish they would go away. But I'm going to pray about it nonetheless. I'm going to ask the one person who can do something about that to do something about it. Let them be mute. Okay. <clears throat> that ends his prayer in the midst of trouble. Oh, whew. good, the trouble's over. No, the prayer's over. Now there's praise in the midst of trouble. And now what he's done instead is he's going to express, primarily express his confidence even though it does not appear that the circumstances get better. See, we don't, we don't trust in God so that He gives us good circumstances. Not, I mean, we're not doing, we're not doing faith or doing uh, trust in God so that we get candy from Him. We're trusting Him because who He's revealed Himself to be is the most joy-giving, delightful, hope-filled um, object in which we can believe. That's, we hang on to Him because of the intrinsic value of God Himself, not because of the candy that He might give us by making our circumstances turn better. Oh, there's no blue here. I mean, this is like maybe the best verse in the whole Bible right here. In the midst of all the blue we've been reading, oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. I'm just going to sit here for a second and be quiet and let you just look at that because that is so good. This is precisely why we need to trust God. Because none of these circumstances that we've seen, the health, the enemies, the neighbors, the friends, none of it's been good. Yet, God is good. And He isn't just a this is the thing. This is, this is why it's a struggle to believe this all the time and I go back and back and back. He isn't just a little bit good. He is abundantly good and so much so that He has been stockpiling goodness for you. And I'm just, I'm just going to... I'm just going to give you, this isn't even in the text, but some of the goodness that you get from Him, you wouldn't get if you didn't have bad circumstances. Because life's not simple like that. 
And you get to know God in a way when you suffer that you don't get to know Him when you don't suffer. And He's got so much goodness, He's been stockpiling it for years in order to show it to those who fear Him. Not those who decide they're not going to believe. Not those who are going to somehow conform God to their image or make God into something comfortable. A God who... God has revealed Himself to be abundantly good to those who fear Him as He's revealed Himself to be. And it's not easy to hang on and to fear Him and to believe Him like that. Yep, here it is. This is why it's praise in the midst of hard times. Because there are men still plotting. There's still people talking about Him, slandering Him, saying bad things about Him and His family and His friends. And yet, in the cover of your presence, you hide Him. He doesn't leave you. You might feel left, but He hasn't left you. You might feel exposed, but He's hidden those who fear Him. He's protecting them in His shelter. And they go back and they go back and they go back and they battle and they fight and they hang on and they, go, they run back to God who is abundantly good. I mean, this is this is remarkable. He's talking about this kind of thing when he's in a besieged city. I mean, I, I don't know how much you've read of history, but but that's one of the most awful things I can imagine is to have your city a walled. You're inside this walled city, and now you're trapped by this enormous army outside. They don't let any food come in or out. They don't have water. They don't no trade. No nothing. I mean, it makes sanctions our modern sanctions look pathetic. Okay, he's in there. I mean. It, People eat their children in besieged cities. It's bad. Okay, he's in. This is bad. And then he says, <laughs> "Blessed be the Lord, for He has wondrously shown His steadfast love, even when I'm in a besieged city." You see, this is the return of faith. This is the constant pursuit of God's constant pursuit of you. This is his your commitment, blessed be the Lord, to his commitment to you. His steadfast love. And it's wondrous how he shows it, regardless of how bad your circumstances might be. This this one this one I love. There's like every few verses, there's just this gem. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. How bad was it? in that besieged city. How bad was it when the friends crossed the road so they don't have to talk to you? How bad was it? It was pretty bad. I'm pretty much certain God was not caring about me. He was not seeing me. I'm cut off from Him. I'm just pretty sure of it. That's what I told people. That's the way I felt. But I'm still going to praise Him. You heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Well, what's better? Nothing and everything. Nothing on the outside is better. On the inside, he knows that God hears his prayer. Okay. Yeah, there are still those who act in pride. 
So what do you do? You love the Lord, all you His saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who asks in pride. <laughs> See, most of, us, most of us take this to say, I, I think that good things in life call forth love from God. The invitation of the Scripture is not to love God for the good things, but to love God for being a good God. See, we don't love Him for the things He gives us. We love Him for who He is. That's what this is about. Love the Lord for who He is. All you His saints, because He is faithful to you. And then finally, here is the final you know, sound on the trumpet in Psalm 31. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord. Well, what's changed? Nothing. Nothing except the, having walked through Psalm 31, having seen the example of Jesus, you recognize that waiting for the Lord is what you have. You have the Lord. You don't have maybe great things going on in your life. You don't have all the answers. You don't have a smooth path ahead of you. You have some pretty big explosives behind you. But you have the Lord. And so you can be strong. And I, I just love the way that this is. It isn't, and take courage. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Remind yourself of what your heart ought to be doing even when things are hard. Let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord. See, the bargain that you and I have with God is not that He's going to make our life easy, that He's going to give us this straight line trajectory from start to finish. That's not, that's not a bargain. If you think that's a bargain you're striking with God by being here this morning or being religious or, or saying you're a Christian, then you've got another thing coming. That's not our bargain. See, our bargain is that in the midst of this up and down life, filled with all kinds of perils, with enemy, with ill health, with bad relationships with people who were close. All of those things, the bargain we strike is that God is still abundantly good. That He still has committed to you in steadfast love. So much so that He has expressed that on the cross when His Son said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so your privilege then and your hope is to wait for Him. And you know what? Some of you are having a hard time. Some of you will have a hard time until your final day. But that's not what you're after. Because ultimately, the promise of your final day, like the promise of Jesus' final day, is the resurrection. And it is that resurrection that we ultimately hope in. 
Because we live in a fallen and broken world that doesn't work like it should. It certainly doesn't work like we think it should. But it's the resurrection that gives us hope. And when the resurrection gives us hope, not even death can take it away. And so what do we do? What do we do then? What we do is we be strong. We let our hearts take courage. And we hope in the Lord. Let's pray.